Praise the Lord and good evening everybody out there. Uh, we're here for online Bible study. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again with you and with the people that are here with us in the sanctuary. Before we get started, I did get a prayer request um, online today, so we're going to go ahead and see if we can do that before we get started. Uh, Sister Sean Collins asked that we would pray uh, for her mother. Uh, she was having some health issues that were going on. Uh, she wasn't specific about it, but she asked that we would pray uh, for her mother. So why don't we do that right now, and then we'll get started um, with our Bible study tonight. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you again for the opportunity to come into your house. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've released and allowed to empower us and to live with us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the power that you exhibit through your Word, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus and what he had demonstrated by taking our sicknesses and our infirmities. And we ask even now in the name of Jesus as we pray for Sister uh, Sean Collins' mother, uh, Miss Cager, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that she would be healed from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet, Father, whatever it is that is uh, ailing her or the illness or sickness she's dealing with, we pray even now in the name of Jesus because we know that healing is the children's bread. We thank you for it even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, so Sister Collins, we're going to keep her in prayer. Uh, we'll make sure that we do that. Uh, tonight, we are still in the book of Philippians, and so we're going to tonight uh, be in Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be picking up at verse 17, and doing 17 through 21 is what I anticipate doing tonight. Uh, last week, if you recall, we had gotten through uh, those scriptures in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 16, where we saw then the apostle Paul uh, explaining how it was necessary that we get out of believing that we could approach God through our own good works and through our own flesh. He went on to explain that if anybody was able to approach God that way, uh, he definitely could because he talked about his background, how he was a Pharisee, talked about how um, he had learned under the best of teachers in the Jewish religion, but that basically everything that he had learned and that he had to his account toward God, he said all of that he counted loss for Christ, that he might earn the excellency that comes through the cross of Christ. And through that, he went on to begin to explain then that he would forget those things that were behind, press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ, and that as he would keep pushing to try his best to become what God wanted him to be, even though he was not perfect, he kept saying he recognized he wasn't, but at the same time, he would keep pursuing after Christ which was the calling that God had. Of course, we said in the book of Philippians many times, especially the verses we're about to deal with tonight, uh, can be considered some of the most important verses that you find in the Bible as they explain to us the reality or the truth of what's going on. Again, uh, I, you know, I have to say kind of like uh, Paul said um, when he first started Philippians chapter 3, he said to write the same things to you, uh, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it's safe. And so consistently, I'm always going back again and again and again, uh, trying to emphasize the reality uh, of what we're up against. And that is that, you know, there are two worlds we're dealing with, the flesh that we live in 
And then when we die, the spiritual world that exists, uh, we will enter into it in a different way, um, not able to return after we find out whatever's on the other side. And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus did tell us exactly what was on the other side, that a man lived here rich and had everything you could want while he was here, only to die and lift up his eyes in hell. There are people who will say they don't believe that, and we're like, okay, fine. Um, but I do say to people, at least if they choose not to believe uh, that, it would make sense for them to just cast Christianity all the way up to the side, because it makes no sense. I've said that over and over and over again, that God would not need to give us an alternative way that would include um, his son being tortured and beaten and crucified um, just in order to give us one additional way to get to heaven. Uh, so if you can easily get to heaven by meditating or praying or hugging on trees or whatever else people think you can do to get there, then it, Christianity just makes no sense. It's the kind of religion that you should be easily able to dismiss it and throw it out. If you can't just dismiss it and throw it out and you take it serious, then you have to either say, as I've said before, Jesus is just crazy, or if he's telling the truth, then this is serious. So every day I'm praying, and many times when I'm down praying, I have a list of people, and, and the list just keeps going because every time I pray for one person, somebody they know comes to my mind, so then I'm pr I'll pray for that person, and then, I'm, you know, and it just keeps going and going and going. I find myself saying, God, look, all the people that I, I don't know even, you know, I just, you know, pray that they'll find this truth so that they don't eventually die to find out then and be lost. And so Paul uh, makes it clear that we should be pressing toward this mark, that it's very important we understand what's going on. When we recognize the cross and recognize what happened, we see then what God thinks about the world. Now, right, and there's nothing we can present to God. It doesn't matter whether how much money we made, what kind of businesses we did, whatever we did, God's going to let us make it clear to us, none of this matters when it comes to what he believes in terms of your salvation and what's important in terms of recognizing what God places his value on. This is why the Bible says consistently, rich people despise the poor, but God has chosen the rich, I mean the poor, and in one place, the Bible says, look out amongst you. You don't see a lot of rich. You don't see a lot of famous. You don't see a lot of people like this. And it's not because, and then it goes on to say, God has chosen uh, the things that are despised. It doesn't mean that God has purposely said only poor people and people who don't do well and all that will get to go to heaven. That's not what happened. <clears throat> what he's saying is that men tend not to recognize the need for God when they're doing that well down here, you know, they, they, they just seem to have it all together. And so whatever they tend to believe is true in their minds, that's the way they pursue things. And so ultimately, this is why Jesus said hardly, it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven, mainly because they rely on their own effort, wealth, etc., to live life. And there's no real need, they see at least, for God. Therefore, they end up missing it only to end up like the rich man who the Bible tells us ended up in hell, looking up saying, please send somebody back to tell my brothers about this place. And this is why I'm saying that, again, like I say before, that it would be easy to dismiss it, 
But this is scary if you think about it, because Jesus, did, he didn't joke. He didn't say, this is, hey, let me tell you a joke about something that happened. He said, no, there was a certain rich man. And he describes the man, and he tells us what happened in the man's life, tells us about the poor guy who had a name. Uh, he just didn't bother to name the rich guy. He named the poor guy, and then when it was over, tells us what happened. So I keep just saying to everybody, you don't want to be deceiving yourself, and you don't want to be living in a way that you think you're doing all right, only to find yourself outside, either outside, uh, or not so bad losing your rewards, because I guess at least, like uh, Peter said, you know, we get saved, but as by fire, just everything else we get gets burned up. Of course, I, I would not like to have uh, worked my whole life doing something and then get to heaven and God's like, everything you did is you wasted your time. It's like, wow, you don't want to do that either. But at the same token, you definitely want to make sure that you've got this part right. This is what he then says, beginning, and we're going to read verse 17 through 21, and then tonight we're going to focus our attention on this and dig a little bit deeper. He says this in verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. All right, now, I want to go back, and we're going to kind of break this down verse by verse like we've been doing to see plainly what Paul is saying so we don't just read by this stuff. If you look at verse 17, you see Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So he says, you know, we talked about in our outline, we talked about how um, you have these different examples of good Christian conduct. Now, prior to this, Paul talks about himself, and it's obvious that Paul is not saying, follow me because I'm perfect. I mean, he's already said in the verses leading up to this, um, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended this one thing I do. I put things behind. I press toward the mark. So he's not saying he's perfect. What, but, but what he is saying is that, what he is doing is what he knows that Christ wants all of us to be doing. That we have, so he says, mark the people who walk so as you have us as an example. He says, follow together of me, follow me. And the people that are walking like me, mark them. And the word mark that's used there actually is a word that has a meaning, an underlying meaning of like imprint. It's like, Stamp it. It's like when you stamp something. So he's saying that's how you ought to look out for people who are, he says, follow me and mark those who walk in following me so that you have examples to live by. He says this is what you need to do. So and then he goes on to start telling us why this is the case. He's saying that you got to do this because there's a lot of people who are claiming to be Christians, and a lot of people who are claiming 
to be following God. And he says, they're not, and you need to get the right examples. He says, so you're not going to have an excuse if you get there, and you follow this one and said, well, this is what they were doing, and I thought it was okay because they said they were a Christian. They looked like they were doing okay. Got all that. None of that's going to matter. That's not an excuse. You have to mark people who are following according to the word. And then he begins to explain it to you. He says this in verse 18. For many, see that right there? Many, not a few. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So he says then that Paul says that, look, I've been, I pray, I'm telling y'all, I've told you many times and now I'm telling you again. There are many people who are claiming to be Christians. Now, this is way back then. And Christ hadn't even been gone 30 years, 40 years maybe. He hadn't even been gone 40 years good. Probably not even 30 because he died in 33. This book was written in maybe 60. So Christ hadn't even been gone 30 years. So you have people who are literally living in the dispensation where Jesus actually lived. And Paul is saying you have people who are claiming to be Christians who are basically enemies of the cross. That's a, that's a, a very strong indictment of a person to think about that, to be walking around claiming you're a Christian to only be labeled an enemy of the cross. Now, if you think about it, it makes sense. Nowadays, everything is about, you know, um, you got to, you know, take care of yourself, you know, you got to make sure, you know, that it's all pampering and it's all some kind of way that that's all God cares about is, is our happiness and our feeling good and making sure our, we're blessed and our lives are just great and wonderful. When Jesus never, ever said that, you know, Jesus' biggest thing was if a man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In another place, he says, if a man seeks to save his life, he's going to lose it. If, if he loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. Another place, what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? What's he going to give in exchange for his soul? In another place, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better you go in with one eye than to go into hell with two. You know, I mean, all this stuff Jesus said, you would just have to ignore it to suggest that God's idea is, oh, no. I died on the cross so you could just be blessed and happy and never have to put anything aside and never have to sacrifice and never have to suffer for me and never have to have your uh, self inconvenienced for what I want you to do. You know, put down your stuff and come do some of my stuff. You can't get away with that, but that's what these people were teaching. And basically it was nothing but hedonism, which is basically the pursuit of self and pleasure and gratification and making sure I'm okay and I have everything I'm supposed to have and I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm comfortable and all of that. And Paul says, these people are enemies. That is, that's an indictment that I never hope is left, put by my name. Can you imagine that? A picture with your name and underneath it says, enemy of the cross. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Now, let's look at the next verse, and he's going to explain to us what these people look like, and, and he tells us what's going to happen. First thing he explains to us is all at once save, always save, don't count. Verse 19, he tells us their end, whose end is destruction. Let's stop right there. Okay. That's the final chapter. He's saying, look, the people that we're identifying right now, 
that we're not going to get to heaven. And just like I said last week when I was talking about some of the grades that I gave out and people didn't like the grades and now they want me to change them. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I can't do it. It's over. I mean, I can't change it now. This is how it gets sealed, your fate, once you die. You close your eyes. That's it. Your, your fate is sealed. It's over with. And Paul says these people that we're about to discuss today, right now, when, they, when it's over, their end is destruction. Now, the, the problem in today's society, of course, is once again, nobody wants to accept a God who, who, who will, is going to destroy anybody. You know, in other words, it, it, destruction, because, you know, how can a loving God do that? You know, if God loves people, how can he, he destroy them, you know? Well, that, look, we're just going to go with what God said. God loves the world, and in one place, the Bible says plainly, he wishes that all men could be saved. And, and so Paul said, I'm praying so that what? All men might be saved. This is God's desire. Uh, I think he said that to Timothy. Um, let, let me see something right quick. I just want to see right quick here. Yes. Look at, look at, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 right quick. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 1. Through six. First Timothy chapter two, we'll look at verse one through six. And look at what he says. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. All right, so Paul again in talking to Timothy saying, look, Timothy, I, I'm, 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 I'm saying we should be praying, making supplication, interceding for all men. That what? One, that we might be able to live here peaceably and quiet, but second, that we might live our lives in such a way because it's God's desire that all men be saved. See, that's God's desire. So a lot of times people will say, and, and here's a prime example of something that God can't do. <laughs> you know, that sounds real funny for people. They're like, what do you mean God can't do it? Well, that's something that God obviously can't do. He can't save everybody because however he set it up in his sovereignty, he set it up in such a way that he can't step into your arena of what it is you got to do. You must make the choice, and you must decide what to do. And if you choose not to do it, well, so be it. You won't be saved. And many, there are some people, some faiths, some Christians that believe that God will draw you to him, and if God draws you, that's the only way you can get saved. I don't believe that. I mean, I don't believe that. So some will say that I'm, they call what I believe a work. So you're, you're participating in your salvation. What you're basically saying is that, you know, you need to help God to save you. And the Bible says that you can't help God. It's all about God. God did everything. Jesus, give him all the glory for your salvation. He gets it all. I'm not taking any of that away. What we're doing is saying, the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But some suggest God, you can't call unless God allows you to be able to see the calling. Well, the Bible says, how can we call on him who we have not 
heard about, how can we hear without a preacher? The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So faith is not a work. You know, believing God is not a work. It's something that you have to do. God says it, make a decision. And, you, and, and think about how unfair this would be, I guess, if I'm talking to two people. And of these two people, God lets one understand and the other one he don't. And God pulls the other one and he don't the other one. And you just get to go to hell and you don't. Now, some people will use the scripture that says, God has mercy on who he wants to have mercy and on whom he will. He hardens when he talked about Pharaoh. And that's taking it out of context. That's really not what he was talking about there. He was talking about God's decision to save everybody because the Jews, on the one hand, will say we have the law and with the law we follow God and we do whatever. And then you have these Gentiles who basically don't even have the law. They're not circumcised. How is it fair for them to get saved and some of us not to get saved? And God's point was I save who I want to save. I have mercy on who I want to have mercy and who I want to harden, I harden. That, so his point was, I have done this in such a way that everyone is guilty now. Jews, Gentiles, everybody guilty. There's none righteous, not one. So all can call on me and I can save everybody. That's what he meant. He wasn't saying, okay, I'm going to blind you now and not blind you and I'm going to do this. Now, that's not what he was saying. So we understand then that God can't save everybody. Now, one of the things, let's look at Titus chapter 1, uh, look at Titus chapter 1, and let's look at verse, um, let me see if I can find it, verse 1 and 2, Titus 1, 1 and 2, and I want you to see something. So God has got this stuff in the Bible, and this is what it says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. You see that? So here we go again. Here's something else God can't do. He can't lie. All right, now, you believe that? Okay, so if you believe that God cannot lie, he can't lie, right? That means he's telling you the truth. Okay, well, let's go back to Philippians and see what he said. <laughs> so he ain't lying. Bottom line is, God is not lying. God ain't playing. God not trying to just, you know, make up nothing. This is the truth. All right, here it is. This is what God says. Paul said, mark people. He said in verse 18, 17, mark them that uh, to follow me. Mark people that follow as I do. Then in verse 18, because many of them I've told you, and now I'm telling you weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. The end is destruction. So God ain't lying, that's destruction. And then he starts telling you who they are. So we're going to look at three attributes. They could, they could be all in the same person, or they could be attributes of three different types of people. All right, so but we want to look at each one that he talks about. First he says, whose God is their belly. Then he says, whose glory is in their shame. And then third, who mind earthly things. So there are three different types of people here, there are three different things that could be happening in one person, or these could be three different types of people, but all enemies of the cross, which then makes them enemies of Christ. So their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, they mind worldly 
things. So let's look at the first one. Their God is their belly. Now, every time you use the word belly, you're not just talking about eating, okay? Even though the reason that word is used is because of that. It, it deals with the concept of uh, desires, people kind of just feasting on their desires, right? So you see consistently throughout the Bible, God talks about being an idolater. Is, is being covetous is like being an idolater. So covetousness is the idea of always desiring, 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 and wanting, wanting, wanting. That's what this is about. So we're going to look at a couple verses, and we're going to see where Paul is consistently in several different places making it clear we can't live like this. Okay, in other words, you, you, you're saved now. And, and we got to really think about this because I see why some people are drawn to some churches. I get it. But I can't preach that. I mean, I... I I'm not going to say I wish I could. I don't wish I could because that's not following Christ like Paul said. So I'm not, I, I, I can't say I wish I could. We have to understand. But, you know, people got to make a decision. This is what it says. Let's look at, we're going to hit a couple verses. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. Now, we know God. We said God can't lie, so we can go to Romans chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. And this is what it says. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, so you see that. People that live in the flesh cannot please God. And the idea of the flesh is all of these worldly things that people are following, etc. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 8 and go down to verse 13. Look at what he says. Remember, well, God don't lie. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the deeds do mortify the deeds of the body through the spirit, you shall live. Okay, I mean, so you see this, right? God's making it plain. He's saying, look, you can call yourself a Christian all you want, but if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. If you, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of your body, you'll live. In other words, your body is desiring all these different things and all this stuff, and God's saying we got to call on the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside. Ask him, yield to him morti to mortify your body so that you're not pursuing all this stuff. You're not, that you're not captivated by your belly is what it amounts to. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 16, and let's look at verse 18. Romans chapter 16, and let's look at verse 18. Here we go again, Paul speaking. Well, let's start at verse 17. Let's look at Romans 17 and 18. And you see it again, the same thing. So we'll start at verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, 
and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So you see that? See, so the whole thing when he says here, by good words and fair speeches, that's really preaching. They deceive the hearts of the simple. And the word simple, and I, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but the word simple actually means stupid. It's, it, it's a different kind of variation on it. But it means people who are unwilling to like, I mean, it's just like they just, they take in something, they're gullible. It's almost like, why you don't get this? Why you don't understand that God's not going to send his only begotten son to be here? Well, you know, and you, if you go through the whole passion, it's pretty horrible. You know, because when you read parts of it, you don't really think about it unless you visualize it. But, you know, you have Jesus being turned over to the Roman uh, guard. They take him into a place, put a, a purple robe on him, and begin, the Bible says, they hit him with reeds in his head. Can you imagine? I mean, somebody hitting you across your head. This is not with a little thing. This is with a stick. And they're basically hitting him across the head. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They're bowing and mocking him. They're plucking his beard out, spitting on him, all kind of stuff. And then, oh, hell, king of the Jews, right? And then they take him back. They, they flog him. Um, they do all this stuff and then make him carry this cross and then nail him to it. And then the final, um, if you want to call it, humiliation is to literally stab him through his side and into his heart, right? Boom, with a spear. That's pretty rough. That's horrible. It's torture, right? And so you go through all of this only to believe that somebody can come and preach some message about all God wants to do is make us happy and da-da-da-da-da. Happiness is okay, and I ain't got a problem with that. But we need to understand that people, Paul says, don't follow these people whose God is really their belly. All you got to do is look at their lifestyle. Everything is about flash and dash and and more, and, 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 and how you're going to go higher, and how you're going to this, and all that stuff that God is saying, that's not what he's about. But if you allow yourself to be deceived and be simple, stupid, you know, stupor, in a stupor, people talking to you, God's not going to what? Allow you to escape because you allowed yourself to be deceived, because that's the, the word he says, deceived. Now, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at verse 17 through 19. Ephesians 4, verse 17, and look, so just look at the continuity of what Paul is constantly saying. So here we are now, Ephesians 4, we'll look at verse 17 through 19. This is what he says. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that henceforth walk, that you walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. All right, you see that? There we go again, being greedy. And that term greedy dealing with the whole idea of not having enough. You know, you always, that's why we use the word belly there, because it's like not having enough, constantly, constantly, constantly. There, there was a quote that um, one of, a commentator used, uh, it came out of, um, I can't remember, it was one of these Greek-like um, plays or something, right? And the guy who is making this speech basically is saying, 
Uh, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in sacrificing to gods. And basically what he says is, you know, I don't sacrifice my sheep or any of my things to these gods. I sacrifice um, to my own self. Uh, I eat, I drink, and I have a great time, and I bring no trouble on myself. This is the God of wisdom of men. My God is my belly. And so basically, he, he, he's saying, I'm not sacrificing my animals and my stuff to some God that I don't even know where he is, and I'm not just going to trouble myself. I'm going to be happy and do the best I can because my God is my belly. You know, I, 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 I satisfy myself. And this is exactly what Paul keeps trying to get everybody to understand. You have Christians who are living just like that. And so all the people in the world, all the stuff in the world, all the trouble, all the sickness, all everything going around them, they don't care because they're too busy feeding their own God, who is their belly. And Paul says, don't walk like other Gentiles walked in the vanity of their minds, okay? Being alienated, which means they can't even get to the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them because their heart is blinded. They're not, they're not, they can't even see the truth. So we see then that the concept of belly is centering around all of the worldliness and other things that go on in life, right? So that's, that's that, that first thing. Now, so you'll be able to see when I start dealing with uh, the next one how you could have a person that really is kind of has all this stuff going on, but it also could be three different types, all right? The next is they glory in their shame. All right, now, in other words, there's some things that Paul, in one place, he even said, I think it was in the book of Corinthians, he said that there are things that people are doing that it ought to be, that's a shame. That stuff ought not even be being done, um, but they're doing it. He says, this is the kind of stuff you're supposed to be doing in secret, but they're doing it out openly. He says, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's shameful what they're doing, right? So here he says, you have people who glory in their shame. In other words, what ought to be a shame for a Christian, you making a big to-do about it. You're glorying in your shame, all right? So let's talk about what that shame <laughs> looks like. It could be things like their comfort level, okay? Jesus was constantly talking about not seeking out to just be comfortable all the time. You know, that's not what life is about for a believer. Once you come to Christ, you realize that, God has saved you. Now he says, I need you to bring forth works, meet for repentance, things that show that you, in fact, have changed. You now understand what's going on down here. Adam and Eve were deceived. Satan then turned their lust upon themselves. They then began to pursue just their own ways. And every time you do that, you end up with Cain's killing the Abel's, and you end up with all this murder and craziness and all this stuff going on, and people constantly pursuing their own thing, violence, imaginations are always on evil and wickedness, and the bottom line is people won't serve God, and what ends up happening, Noah's flood, and God's always destroying something, Sodom and Gomorrah, and on and on and on. And then finally, when we hear in the, the end, when Jesus comes back. But he says then that what we need to do is recognize that Pursuing that kind of life, once we get saved, it's not just about our comfort. God is not trying to make us uncomfortable. That's not the point. But the point is that I can't spend all my time pursuing comfort, believing that I can look at Jesus on the cross as disfigured as he is, as beaten as he is, as 
disfigured as he is, to believe that all that happened so I could have the most comfortable life I can while I'm here. I'm deceived. That's, that's what God says. You're deceived. You have to realize, no, you are a soldier now in the army of God. You've been called and you've been bought with a price, and now you must serve God acceptably now in a way that is pleasing to him. And sometimes that means you got to put down your own things for a moment, you know, you do some things that God might want you to do. Uh, so the comfort. Second, um, the, the buying, the selling, their authority or their power or how much they possess, all these are things that really are kind of shameful, you know, the authority I have, you know, or whoever I am, and I think I'm somebody like that. Look what God has done and made me and all that. All that shame, shame, shame. Bible says that Jesus made himself of no reputation, and we see this in Philippians. Let's go back and flip, and we'll see where we saw that already. Um, let's go here in Philippians 2, um, and we look at verse 5 through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let's look at it right there. It says, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. All right, so, so think about what they're saying, what Paul is saying here. He's saying that Jesus there came a point where Jesus fully understood who he was. And that's why he kept saying, you believe in God, believe in me. Wow, who says that, right? He's going around constantly making it clear that he is the son of God. You can believe in him. He was with the father before. He and the father are one. But instead of deciding to be a king or to go after something of a greater statue, he chose to humble himself. And he didn't come at people that way. Matter of fact, once they said that they were going to make Jesus, they were going to, they, he perceived they were going to force, come and force him to be king. Jesus went off and hid himself because that he knew it wasn't his time for that. And so he purposely humbled himself and stayed in a, a humble position, whereas think about all the power he had. Jesus could, could, could walk on water. Would you like somebody to work for you like that? I mean, don't you think somebody who could walk on water might could really start a pretty good business? Don't you think somebody who could uh, cause the wind and the waves to stop could probably do pretty good in life, right? Somebody who could heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. Hey, you probably could do all kind of stuff with that. But he, nothing. He just, nothing. He just went around healing, teaching, and staying humble. And anytime people tried to promote him, he would hide. Why? Because he purposely was trying to humble himself to give us the understanding. Let this mind be in you. No matter what it is that God gives you or allows you to have, like Paul said, why are you boasting about it anyway? Because God gave it to you. Whatever it is you got, God gave it to you. So why are you boasting? If it's talent, God gave it to you. If it's money, God let you have it. Whatever it is you're doing, wherever you make it, wherever you've arrived, God did it anyway. So you need to humble yourself, right? Well, these people don't. They walk around like some kind of way they did this. You know, if it wasn't for me and what I do in my prayers and my life and my way and my living and what I do and how I do it, whatever else they're saying, bottom line is that that's how we got here. So this is why sometimes we're buying the book. 
Uh, we're going to the church. We're doing whatever. Why? Because we're hearing stuff that really amounts to glorying and shame. Because what you're trying to convince me of, when the Bible says, you know, one waters, another plants, God's the one who gives increase anyway. I mean, when it's all over, God's the one doing stuff. So none of us have any secret formulas or any of that. But the reality is we can find ourselves glorying in shameful things, whether it's on your job, wherever it is, right? The things that I've accomplished, I've achieved, etc. Now, you can see how you could separate these two out. You could have somebody who is, like I said in the beginning, their God is their belly, yet they're not glorying in their shame. In other words, they don't go around doing all that stuff I just said. Oh, but they about the good life now. Okay, they, they ain't trying to hurt, and they ain't trying to have no problem. You know, they, they, you may never hear about them at all. But the reality is they also are not out doing nothing or trying to, or doing anything going to make them uncomfortable. And so the idea is that, this, but at the same time, you can see how somebody could be, have both. You know, that I, I, I ain't trying to be uncomfortable, and, and let me tell you how I got it going on, why I don't have to be, you know. So uh, everywhere I go, when I pull up, they're going to they gonna get my luggage and get my stuff, and uh, they're going to do, you know, everywhere I do, I'm this and I'm that. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, the point is, shameful, 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 just shameful, just a shame, you shame, you shame. And, all right, now let's look at some scriptures, though. And we're going to see what God has to say about covetousness in and of itself, okay? So we're going to run through some scriptures, and we're going to see. All right, so we're going to look at, uh, first, let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. So we'll look at Luke 12, 15. Now, after we go through these, if anybody don't understand, it's because they just don't want to. Luke 12, 15. All right, let's see what it says. This is Jesus. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. All right, so you see that, right? So Jesus is the one telling us. When somebody starts preaching at you and say, hey, man, you need to listen to what I'm telling you because you can get the abundant life, you should say, what are you talking about? And if they say, well, look at my car, look at my house, look at my money, look at my clothes. You want to live abundantly like me? You say, nope, don't want it. Now, I don't mean that you may not want to have something. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, but that glory in you doing, the Bible already tells me that's shameful, and I don't want none of whatever that spirit is you got on you, I don't want that. And if you think that's abundance, you're already missing what Jesus said. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Okay, we got that straight from Jesus. All right, Ephesians 5.3. Go with Ephesians 5.3. And look at what it says. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becoming saints. There it is. Once again, covetousness. He puts it right in there with fornication and uncleanness. Covetousness. Let's look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Right? You know the Bible says don't, don't worship any idols. God says covetousness is idol worship. Well, you know, I'm coveting things all the time, all the time, all the time. He says it's, it's, it's idol worship. 
So we see then. Let's go to Psalm chapter 10, verse 3. Psalm 10, 3, so that we'll see this is a constant theme. This is not something new. Psalm 10, verse 3. Let me get over there right quick. All righty. Oh, I'm almost there. They got it faster than I did back there. Here we go. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Now, you see that? What, what that's basically saying is wicked people boast about these things that they desire to have, and they bless or speak high of covetous people. You see it all the time. Just think about it. I mean, the people we talk about, oh, yeah, they got it going on. You got it going on. Why? Because of all that stuff they got and the way they go after it. And we thinking they got it going on. And God's like, he abhors these people. You see, so it, 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 it's consistent throughout the scripture. Uh, let, let's look at uh, Psalm 49. Go to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. Let's look at verse 6. We'll look at Psalm 49, verse 6 through 7. It says here, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. So in other words, you got these people running around talking about this money they got. But you can't do anything when it's time for your friend, your family member, or anybody. When they die, it's old. When they're sick, you can't buy them out of there. You can't buy yourself out. It's kind of like Steve Jobs. You know, all this stuff, all this money, everything. And he died, and all the money, they couldn't operate on him. You know, what he had, it just, they couldn't save him. Even though he had billions, gazillions of dollars, didn't matter. See, see, it doesn't matter. You're boasting this money, and you're boasting all this stuff you're doing, and God's like, when it's all over, you can't offer me nothing and that money don't do nothing to help you. Proverbs 25, 14. Let's go over to Proverbs 25, 14. This is why after this, man, you know, you would think people would be like, man, look, I ain't trying to hear all that. Don't talk to me about that. 25, 14. You know, I'll take it if God lets me have it, but otherwise I don't worry about all that. Verse 14. Whoso boasts himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. So in other words, you know, people going around boasting and talking like they got it going on, you don't have nothing. Even if you got something, it's not because of gifts or talents you gave to yourself. You're boasting. He says, whoso boasteth of a false gift, it ain't yours. You're like clouds and wind and there's no rain. You know how you look out there and you be like, man, this show look like it's going to rain. And it don't. That's what he says like. Proverbs 27.1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. See, see this constantly boasting about what you're going to do, boasting about who you are, boasting about what's happening. All this stuff is glorying in shame. So when you're listening to Christians, and that's the tone that they have all the time, and that's the way they talk, then you got to mark them and stay away from them. That's what he says. I mean, pray for them, but don't hang out with them. Because the bottom line is, Bad manners, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you corrupt your manners. 
Bad company corrupts good manners. That's what the Bible says, bad manners, meaning you hang out with bad folks, you're going to end up corrupting your lifestyle through theirs. Now, let's look at the next one. So we've got glorying in their shame, God is their belly, who mind earth worldly or earthly things, okay? Now, this one, and I don't want to say, you know, this one's easier than the rest of them to figure out, but you can usually figure it out by just listening to people. So you've got their God is their belly, they glory in shame, and then those who mind earthly things. Now, like I said, it could be all in the same one person having it all going on. I think you can separate these out. Uh, but typically, minding earthly things will probably be tied a lot more to one or the other, at least. So anybody who possesses at least one will probably possess this because there's something what tied together, even though it's possible they might not be. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The idea of minding earthly things is that that's all you got your mind on. There's some Christians like that who are not doing these other things necessarily. In other words, they're not covetous and they're not glorying in their shame, but all they think about is what's going on here. You know, they don't, they don't have no concept, no idea, no focus on the future. Therefore, they end up becoming an enemy of the cross because instead of doing what God would have you to do today because of what? The future. I'm focusing so busy right now on this earth and what's going on here. It's like when you hear a lot of people who will say, man, I, can't, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. Well, I get it and I understand that. But Jesus said that when he's coming back, it's his business and, and the Father's business and his timing. I got stuff for you to do right now that I need you to focus on. It's not earthly to have that type of a focus. It's earthly to be focused the other way because what you're doing is you're so caught up in the drama going on around you and you want to get out so bad that you're not focusing on the future, which is if you do that which God has called you to do in the moment that you're in, your reward will be when Christ comes. And then instead of focusing constantly on what's happening here, mining earthly things all the time. But typically, you're going to find this molded together with one of those other deals, for the most part. And that is that people who are constantly, they're focused on jobs, they're focused on money. They're fo and now I'm not talking about just covetousness, because you don't necessarily have to be covetous to focus on your job, focus on money, focus on whatever. I do think this is what robs Christians of sometimes their ability to serve God because they're so focused on worldly things, they don't think that God can. I think sometimes people fail to give to God because they're focused on earthly things. Oh, Lord, if I do this, what's going to happen? Well, God said he'll bless you. I mean, you know, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus said if you give to him, he'll give it back. So people, people are so focused on this earthly concept, they have no concept of the heavenly issues that are there. So Paul's like, look, all they think about is right here. The Bible says in one place he told them that Demas had forsaken him, loving this current world. I think he wrote that to Timothy um, when he was getting ready to um, make his presentation, I think, to uh, Caesar. He said that Demas had forsaken him. Uh, yes, here we go. This was in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 9 through 11. And, and, and Paul is talking now as he was referring to uh, some folks. Now, Demas, prior to this, you find that Demas, his name comes up as one of the people who is helping Paul. And Paul's excited, he's helping and all this kind of stuff, but it's getting rougher now. They're starting to really treat Christians really bad, you know. Some of them are getting, you know, thrown in the lion's den, other stuff's happening. It ain't popular to be no Christian no more. So now, Paul said in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Paul was in a situation where this guy Demas, he says it plainly. He's forsaken me. He loves this present world more so than the one to come because the threats that were coming at him and everything, I guess Demas threw his hands up. It's like, nah, I, 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 I'd rather keep my life here. And, and it's a shame, you know, because think about it now. This was like... 2,000 years ago almost, right? So those guys have been dead so dead. They've been dead so long. I mean, your life is so short, and Demas gave it up. So now Demas is, uh, unless he did something, Demas went, is in hell. I mean, so 2,000 years done went by. You know, if Demas could have held on for them little 30 years he had left to live and just gone through whatever he had to go through, he would have made it. Instead, he loved the present world now, that little short period of time, and he forsook Paul. And look who he was working with. It's going to be amazing when they, we finally get the rewards and everything happens, and all these people who stuck by Paul find out who they were actually helping and working with, because I'm sure their rewards are great in heaven. But there are a whole bunch of them who likewise are going to realize who they forsook. They walked away from the greatest apostle from what we could tell that's ever lived and wrote all of this Bible. They had no idea that's who they were dealing with. And it's just going to be a shame, but nothing they're going to be able to do about it because it's going to be over. So we don't want to be caught up in this particular group of people. Now let's go on and let's finish up here these verses. All right, then it says this, for our conversation, verse 20, and that word conversation means lifestyle, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So he says, Paul says, look, I want you to mark these people. You, you, can, you, you see them. Don't allow yourself to be deceived. He said, you know, their God is their belly. You know, they are walking and minding earthly things and Everything that they do centers around, most of the time, glorying in their shame. He says, mark these people. He says, because our conversation, our lifestyle is in heaven, where we're looking for Jesus who's coming back. I mean, this is the most amazing thing to me. I mean, the longer I go and the older I get, and I don't know if it's just because, you know, sometimes people think it's just getting older, but the, the more I focus on the reality of what we keep talking about, is that Jesus Christ is real. He's in heaven. He's sitting there by God's throne, and one day God's going to finally say, okay, it's time, go back. And when he comes back, it's over with, and all of this is going to change in the twinkling of an eye. And you would think that people would be a whole lot more serious about this if they really thought that could happen. 
You know, this is why Jesus said, and I'm going to get ready to close with this. This is why Jesus said, if the good man of the house knew what time the thief was coming, he would have been ready so that the thief would not have been able to break through and steal. In another place, Jesus said, if you want to disarm a strong man, you first have to bind him up. Then you can go in and spoil his goods. So think about this. This is why I always tell people, you should never be caught off guard at your own house. Nobody should be able to come in your house and tie you up and, and do anything to you. It's your house. You know every entrance. You know every exit. You know every way in and out. There's no way you should have these things so unguarded that somebody could get in before you know about it. You know, you, you have to protect yourself. You got to, that's what Jesus was saying. He, he said, look, you can't bind a strong, you cannot spoil a strong man's goods. In other words, it's just like my house. I, I joke around my wife sometimes, but I tell her, I said, it ain't going to happen. I said, by the time they even get to where we at, pow, pow, they're going to be hearing stuff. They ain't going to know where it's coming from because I've already thought it out in my mind. You know, it's like, okay, I got to make sure I understand what, where the way's in, the way's out. I got to make sure that, you know, it's, it's more confusing when you get in here than it is for me because I know where I'm at. I live here. You don't, right? So I, I, the only way you're going to get to me and to bind me up first so that you can do whatever you want to do, you're going to have to bind me up first. Well, that, we're not doing it that way. I, I, I got to make sure I keep things. I got to know. I got to know that there's certain hours of the night that people are creeping around. Yeah, they, they don't come at 8 o'clock. Most of the time, they don't show up at 8. And if they do, you know, you're already kind of there and, 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 and dealing with things. It's usually 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, when they figure everybody's asleep. You know, that's when people are doing that kind of stuff, typically not in the middle of the day or whatever. And if you pay attention to what's going on, you can protect yourself. Well, that's what Jesus was saying. That's the whole point about all of this. And I'm going to close with this. Every single thing that goes on, the Bible deals with it. You know, we've had tragedies in the city in the last few days. We have a lot of tragedies all the time. Uh, this, this one involved a bunch of alcohol. You know, bottom line is that if, if it wasn't for all the drinking going on, probably somebody would be alive today instead of run over by a car in the middle of the highway in the dark. But all this alcohol contributed to this. When the Bible tells you plainly the effects of alcohol and what it'll do, if you allow it, too much of it into your body. And we just have to be on guard. Are you saying person's not a Christian? Absolutely not. Christians drink alcohol too. You know, all I'm saying is what the Bible say. Too much of anything could get you in trouble because the devil is always walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So if we get involved in things that are not godly, and we end up in a situation where we have put ourselves in a place where we can get attacked. Oh, the devil have an attack coming. I mean, the Bible says he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. So if you give him something to devour, he'll take a shot at it. So all we can do is go by what the word tells us, make sure that we mark those who are living a life that the Bible tells us should be being lived, Mark them as an example, follow them, and don't allow ourselves to be deceived and to end up in destruction, as the Bible says. All right, so we're going to get ready to close here. Next week, we're going to pick up with chapter 4, and uh, we'll keep marching our way through the book of Philippians. 
So let's see if we can pray, and then we're going to go ahead and dismiss.